Turn with me again in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we will continue our study in this blessed chapter of God's Word. We've just sung, uh, Is He Sure to Bless? Saints, apostles, prophets, martyrs, and I believe all of us here sang that last line of the hymn with a resounding yes. Yes. And we read of some of those blessings that the Lord Jesus provides to those who find him, to those who follow him, to those who come to him. Here in this chapter, and we're going to consider some of those blessings this morning. First Peter chapter 2, let's read the first 10 verses again. Follow in your Bibles as I read. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted that the Lord is kind. And coming to him as to a living stone, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value then, or this honor then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Well, let's come to God and ask that he would bless our study in his word this morning, that those who have come to him already, who have tasted that the Lord is kind, would be encouraged to persevere, encouraged to serve the Lord with gladness, encouraged that of all the people on the face of this earth, we are most blessed. And for those who are not yet in the fold, who have not yet come to him, have not yet seen and known that the Lord is kind, that today would be the day you make this great discovery for yourselves and come to him, to this lamb that was slain, to this one who cleanses us from our sins by his blood. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these precious blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. Coming to him, we receive all of these things and more. We ask that you would encourage the hearts of your people indeed today, that we would serve you with gladness, with vigor, with joy, serve you here in this church, serve you at home, serve you in our office place, in our workplace, in factory, in, in shop, wherever it may be, in home and that we would do it as unto you, 
because you have washed us, you have bought us, you have saved us. And we ask too for those who have not yet seen or tasted that you are kind, that they would taste that today. They would find it true for themselves. Your kindness in pardon, acceptance, new life, new heart, being brought into your family as your own dear children. Do that great work today as only you can do. We have no confidence in the flesh, but we are confident that you, the living God, will save all your people. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In this chapter already, we've seen, as we began a few weeks ago, that we have hopefully put away these sins, but we have, like newborn babes, come this morning even, longing for the pure milk of the word. I hope that you have something of that newborn babe's desire uh, this morning to be nourished, to be fed, to be comforted in a sense at uh, its mother's breasts, to come to the word. Oh Lord, feed us today. You have that longing that you may grow in respect to salvation. But you also see in this chapter, as we saw just a couple of weeks ago, that we come to him as a living stone. Who is Christ? He is that precious cornerstone, that valuable gem we have come to know. He is that cornerstone that, by whom the building is fit together, that provides direction and a guidance to us, that, that holds us all together. That living stone who saves us, that cornerstone. But then we're going to learn today in verse 5, three blessings that the Lord gives to those who have come to him. Coming to him as to a living stone, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This has three blessings. And I hope it doesn't take uh, a PhD in theology to see that really right away. What are those three blessings? We'll look at them. And then the great purpose of that blessing is here, that we may offer up spiritual sacrifices. And then the only means of fulfilling this purpose through Jesus Christ. And so let's look at these three things then one at a time. First of all, and really the bulk of the message is the threefold blessing outlined here in this one verse of coming to the Lord, coming to him as to a living stone. Well, you might ask, what's in it for me? Right, that's a common question that you get in the world. What's in it for me? All right, so you have people come to your door selling a product or you meet them, you know, wherever you go. What's in it? What, what's the good of it? Well, here are three things that he tells you kind of right up front. What's in it? What, what's the good of it? What's the blessing of coming to Christ the living stone? Well, there are three things. First of all, he says, coming to him, you as well as living stones. Well, let's just pause there. Do you see a blessing right away? Living stones? Living stones? Don't doesn't that already kind of jar you and, and make you say, well, wait a minute, living and stones, these aren't words we usually put together. 
this is kind of a contradiction. You can go out and you can talk to stones and they don't answer. You can go out in your garden and water the stones. They don't grow. They don't have baby stones. Uh, living stones? Are you nuts? Well, no, he's not nuts. Because here is the marvelous thing just contained in this little phrase that God, when he saves, when you come to him, he takes dead stones and makes them alive. Now, just think about a stone. Here's a kind of a before and after picture. Before, what were we? Well, the Bible tells us, Ephesians 2, 1, for example, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Well, there we were. We were dead stones. We weren't doing anybody any good. We couldn't save ourselves. If you get a stone rolling, where does it go? It goes down. Rolling stones go downhill. And if you don't stop them, if there's no bottom, they go down and down to the bottomless pit. That's all stones can do. As dead as the bones in Ezekiel's vision. And you remember that vision in Ezekiel's prophecy? Uh, God or, takes him and shows him this valley of dead bones. And the question comes, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, like a wise man, if you don't know the answer, don't try to bluff. He said, oh Lord, you know, uh, <laughs> I don't know. And the answer came back then. It's the Spirit. Prophesy to the bones. <laughs> what good is that? You know, here I am, I'm talking, I know, to some of you out there who are still dead stones. As I said, you can go out in your garden and talk to the stones, and they're not going to answer you. Preaching to dead bones and dead stones, what's the good of that? It's not my voice. It's not by my power. By God's Spirit, He can give life to dead bones and dead stones. And so, what happens? These dead, cold stones come to life. Coming to Him says, You also, as living stones. How did that happen? How did they become living stones? Well, Peter doesn't say it explicitly here, but we know the answer. Jesus said, no one can come to me, dead stone, it's not going to come, it's not going to roll uphill. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And you see, the Father, by his almighty power, by which he created the world and said, let light shine in darkness, he can take a dead stone, make it roll uphill, as it were, and make it come to Christ, because it says, coming to him. No one can come to him, but you see, when the Father draws, they come. Think of Lazarus in the tomb, and Jesus comes to the tomb, and they roll away the stone, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And no doubt the Jews were there scratching their heads and rolling their eyes and saying, this isn't going to work. I know a pastor in the Philippines who actually, back when he was a Pentecostal, and if you were in Sunday school, you may understand then why Pastor Smith said what he said. And he went to this funeral and he preached over the dead body and commanded it to rise. And he went home at midnight, a disappointed man. After hours of doing this. How can a dead body live? 
How can Lazarus come forth? Because if God speaks, Jesus, the Son of God, God, the Son speaks, dead bones live. And Lazarus came forth. You know, we read those words in our Bibles and we skim over the text. But just put yourself there. I'm sure my hair would have been standing on end. Lazarus coming forth. He's been dead three days. And so it is amazing that you dead stones and you who are believers, this is what happened. You were rolling downhill as fast as you could go. Going the wrong way. And Jesus somehow brought the gospel to you and brought the spirit to you, arrested that downward slide, downward roll, and brought you to faith in Christ. And you came to him, life-transforming power. It's not that they were sitting around waiting and saying, well, maybe God's going to zap me. You know, in some churches, they almost preach that way, that you know, okay, if you're going to be saved, it's going to be God who does it, and he's going to somehow come out of the blue and zap you. Well, you see, there's also a responsibility. You say a stone doesn't do anything. Yeah, but you see, when God draws, that stone starts thinking, you know, maybe I need a Savior. Look at my sin. How can I come to Jesus? How? And this working process, you see, involves, it's, it's a concurrent thing where you begin to think and say, what about me? What's the hope for me? And the gospel message then begins to make sense. And you see, the stone has to come. It doesn't just suddenly get attracted and boom. There's a work in progress as God convinces, convicts, changes the heart. And so don't say, well, I'm just going to sit here and wait. The stone comes. You need to come. You need to stop and think, where am I going? What's the good of that? Where is this going to end me up? You need to say, I'm a sinner. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What warrant do you need to come to Christ? Do you need some special feeling? Do you need some uh, zapping experience? You just need to come as a sinner. Here's the qualification to come to him. You're a sinner. Sinners need to be saved. That's you. Come to him. And if you come, you look back and you say, he drew me. You don't say, oh, look what I did. You say, look what God did. All glory and praise to him. And so coming to him, they're now alive. They have true life. And just turn with me to 1 Timothy. Go back a few chapters in your Bible, a few books, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. You know, the world in its advertising proclaims, oh, this is real life. You know, Coke adds life. Oh, really? Last I heard it subtracted life. But I'm not an advertising agent for a Coca-Cola company, you can tell. But anyway, be that as may, look at what is real life. Verse 17 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. Oh, rich, that's, that's real life, is being rich. Well, wait a minute. Not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share 
storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Dear brethren, you may not have a million dollars in the bank, but if you have Christ, you have that which is life indeed. That's what our Bibles tell us, and that's what, if you're a Christian, you can say amen, as you heard somebody, somebody with a loud amen. That's what we have. And you know it if you're a Christian. And you don't envy the world with all their millions, whatever they may have. This is life indeed, to have Christ. And dear friend here this morning, listen to me. Coming to Christ, dead stones, you say, yeah, but you come to Christ, and this is what he does. He gives you that which is life indeed. And this is eternal life. Jesus himself said in his pastoral prayer in John 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And you ask any true Christian in his right mind, would you trade Christ for all the world? And they will in no uncertain terms tell you, no way. No way. This is life indeed. This is eternal life to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. Not money, not pleasure. Uh, the world says, oh, this is really living. This is the life. They don't know what they're talking about. Dear friend, if that's what you think, you've got another thing coming. And you can ask anybody here. Maybe some have come from that. And they'll say, I'm not going back there. I have Christ. Living stones, that's the first thing. They were dead, and now they're alive, and they know life, true life, eternal life, life indeed. Now, there's another blessing here, going back to 1 Peter chapter 2, and verse 5, there's another blessing that's here in the chapter. All right, living stones, that's the first thing. We're alive, we were dead, we were just as good as a stone in what we did in the world. And now... We're being built up as living stones as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Built up as a spiritual house. What, what kind of house is this? Well, when the Bible, and, and Peter, of course, is speaking mostly to those who were JBBs, I mentioned last time, Jewish background believers. And so when they think of a spiritual house, they think of the temple. Well, built as a spiritual house, the temple, uh, this is what? Christians are a holy temple. And so you have here in this place, and we're not talking about the brick and mortar that was put up in, what was it, uh, 1981 or so. We're talking about you all, the living stones built together. There's the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, giving us a foundation, a direction. He's the center of it all. And here are the living stones built together. That's body life. And brethren, let me just say, as I look out on your faces, you know, if you're not here, there's something missing. There's a hole in the wall. <laughs> We're glad you're here. Don't you love to see the brethren? I don't know about you, but it's one of the chief joys of the Lord's day. Of course, being with the Lord is first, but being together. It's a good thing when brethren dwell together in unity. We're living stones. We're built together. What is it? It's a temple. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul uses this same imagery that Peter uses here. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul writes, Do you not know? In other words, he expects that we know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. And that is what you are, the temple of God. Now, it's not evident in our English translations. I may have mentioned this last time, but these are plural pronouns, plural verbs. You are. You, you, y'all are, okay? Use guys to, if I'm from New Jersey. Um, use guys are the temple of God. It's plural. It's not just an individual thing. Now, there is an individual thing in 1 Corinthians 6. And although the pronouns are plural, it's evidently speaking of us as individual Christians. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body, again, it's plural pronoun, but then body is, is talking about you, right? Your body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore, therefore glorify God in your body. And it's talking in the context about joining your body to a harlot, which would defile your body. Your body, your physical body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's true individually. But as these living stones, then, are joined together in the church, it becomes something much more. It becomes a special dwelling place of God in the Holy Spirit. Corporately, you are a temple of God. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I come to church on a Sunday morning, or Sunday evening for that matter, this is not a thought that runs through my brain, as it were, okay, I'm a living stone, I'm going to be part of God's temple, God dwells in this place, we're going to be in the presence of the living God. Do you think that? You just come to church, wonder what they're going to do today, wonder what the sermon is. What you preaching today, Pastor. But this is what's going on. We're built up, one laid upon another, all joined to the chief cornerstone, which is Christ, as a temple of God. Now, let's, let's just go back in history. Let's go back to the founding of the first temple that was built by Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. After Solomon prayed his prayer of dedication for this new temple, which under his guidance, direction, provision uh, from the taxes and provisions of God through the people. This is what took place. There's a long prayer in chapter 6. We come to chapter 7 of Second Chronicles. Follow in your Bibles as I read these first three verses. Now when Solomon had finished praying... Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter the house into the house of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. 
And all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. And they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, Truly he is good. Truly his loving kindness is everlasting. They were filled with awe. They were struck with holy reverence, with fear. We are in the presence of the true and living God, the holy God, the God who created the worlds out of nothing, the God who judges sin, the God who is thrice holy. Fire came down. The Shekinah cloud glory filled the temple. Now, we don't have fire. We don't have a cloud. And we're not going to do any tricks to manufacture smoke and have it come out. It's not a trickster place. But no less is God present here. You understand that? We are a dwelling place. We're put together. We're here assembled. We corporately are a dwelling place of God in the spirit. He's here. That's awesome. And I don't use that word tritely. It is truly awesome. God is in this place. Now they fell down on their faces. We're not going to provide for you kneeling benches or anything like that. But I hope in our hearts, there's a sense of wonder. And it is, I believe you're sensing it now as I speak. But Sunday by Sunday, remind yourself of this truth. God is in this place. I'm in the presence of the living God. I'm here longing for the pure milk of his word that I may grow. And that growth is going to happen not automatically, not just because the sound hits my ears, but because the spirit works through the word. Oh, come, Holy Spirit, work in our midst. Save, convince and convict sinners. Draw them. Turn them from dead stones to living stones. Here, right now in our midst. This is not too hard for you. Nothing is too difficult for our God. And so, this is what happens. This is what God does. This is one of the blessings we heard in the Sunday school hour, the adult Bible class with children present as well, of that seminary in Pakistan where there were teachers who were dead stones. That's a tragedy because we long to see more living stones. And only those who have felt and known and tasted that the Lord is good and kind God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick, and God has sometimes saved sinners from dead preachers. Well, that's not his usual way. His usual way is to use those who have tasted that the Lord is kind to proclaim his kindness. May God bless his word, and may it be that in this place, more dead stones would be transformed to living stones and added to this holy temple, spiritual 
temple. But now there's a third blessing going back to 1 Peter chapter 2. There's a third blessing mentioned by the Apostle Peter in this passage, in this verse, verse 5. You also as living stones, that's the first thing, are being built up as a spiritual house, that's the second thing, for a holy priesthood, that's the third thing. We're not just stones stuck together. We're active in the temple. And so Peter kind of changes the picture here. He, he transforms the analogy by saying, okay, they're living stones, they're in the walls, but now they jump out of the walls, if you will, and they work in the temple, everyone as a priest. You also are being built up as a spiritual house for a priesthood. Priests working in that house. Now, a couple of points here. They are all priests. He says this to the whole group of those uh, who were converted, those who were wanderers, uh, strangers, who had come to know, who were born again. They, were, they had been sprinkled with Jesus' blood. They were new creatures in Christ. All of them are priests. And so, this is a plural thing. Every member of this church is a priest in this church. That's why we don't call pastors priests. Because we're all priests. And this is what uh, is called the priesthood of all believers. Notice another thing about these priests, though. They're holy. They're built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Holy means separated, set apart, consecrated, especially set apart from sin. Brethren, this is what we're called to be, a holy priesthood. Raising up holy hands without wrath or dissension. So brethren, when you come to church, those sins, and let's be honest, we all have them, Wash your conscience in the blood of Christ. Sunday morning, make that one of your Sunday matters of prayer. Lord, wash me, cleanse me. Help me to offer up sacrifices to you as a holy priest. Not one who comes, you know, dragging in all filthy. With the dirt of sin. Yeah, we all sin. Wash it. Thanks be to God. There's a fountain open for sin and uncleanness. You know, some places where there is hoof and mouth disease, like in some parts of the Philippines, when you come to the airport, before you get on the plane, they have this carpet that's impregnated with some sort of uh, antibiotic or I don't know what, disinfectant. And it's supposed to wash off of your feet if you walked in, uh, in through pig slop and gotten hoof and mouth disease on your shoes. It's going to kill it so that you don't transfer that stuff uh, to the next area where you're going. I don't think I've ever seen that in an airport in the U.S., but it's there in the Philippines in some places. Now, here's the thing. We don't have such a bath <laughs> out in front of the church building, literally. But, you know, as it were, when you come... Wash your conscience in that fountain opened. 
Lord, wash me, cleanse me. I have failed this week in various ways. I want to put it away. And that's the marvel of the gospel. You can come before him with your conscience sprinkled clean from dead works to serve the living and true God. Every week, every day, every hour, come to the fountain. Holy priests. But here again, let's, let's go back to this big picture. We are all holy priests in this church. We don't have a special order of priests. We're all priests. There's only one mediator, the great high priest, that's Jesus Christ. He's the head of us all, but we're all priests. Now, we do not deny with this, quote, doctrine of the priesthood of all believers that there are rulers in the church. Leaders in the church, officers in the church, there are pastors and the scriptures tell us. Even Peter himself in chapter 5 says, you younger men, likewise be subject to your elders. And so that means all of you who aren't elders are younger. Okay? So be subject. Well, th that's biblical. There is leadership in the church. And this verse here in 1 Peter 2 is not denying that they're leaders, but it's saying that all of us are active working here today. Nobody here is passive. You say, well, all right, Pastor Steve, you're up there waving your arms and Pastor Smith is over there waving his. But the rest of us are just sitting here like bumps on a log. No, you're not. We're all active. And so what does that mean? What are we doing here? What are these uh, things that we do? And that leads us to the great purpose of these blessings. You are living stones built up as a dwelling place of God, the spiritual house. And you all are holy priests in this temple to serve the true and living God. Well, what kind of service do we do? Look at what it says. Now, this is the second great point, the great purpose of the blessings to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. To offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now, this is not expiatory sacrifices. What I mean by that is we're not here doing something that's somehow going to pay for our sin. We have no such idea. We know that there is only one mediator between God and man, and there's only one sacrifice that once and for all pays for sin. And that's the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And we have no delusions that anything we do is going to, in any way, make satisfaction for our sin. Jesus did it all. But what we have here are sacrifices of worship. Going back to First Chronicles or Second Chronicles chapter seven, let me read the next verse. After it says, "When they saw the Shekinah glory, they fell down, they worshipped and gave praise to, to the Lord, saying, "Truly He is good, truly His loving kindness is everlasting." The next verse is this: Then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. All the people offered sacrifice. This is not the work of the Levites. This is the sacrifice of praise, of thanksgiving. It is the sacrifice of worship. And of course, they offered animals. They brought animals, but this was an expression of the gratitude of their hearts for what a great God, his loving kindness, his everlasting. Let's worship 
and praise him. And so what we are giving as offerings are thank offerings, praise offerings. We are giving to him nothing that could pay for sin, but we're giving to him the thanks of our hearts. And so what are those specific sacrifices? Well, you know, as you scan through the Bible, and not just the New Testament, but especially the New Testament, you can find verses that speak of sacrifices we offer to God. Look back at Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 15. Through him then, that is through Jesus, who went outside the gate, offering his blood, suffering outside the gate, it says, through him, through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks, as my version puts it, to his name. Literally, it's the, the fruit of lips that confess his name. But as we confess his name, in what way does it come out? The sacrifice of praise. You know, brethren, when you sing, You're singing as a priest. You're offering a sacrifice of praise, a spiritual sacrifice to God. Think of it when you sing. As I sat here this morning, because I knew I was going to preach this, this thought came to me. I'll be honest, it doesn't come to me every Sunday. But maybe we need to program our thinking better. I, as a priest, am here working in this church to offer up a sacrifice of praise. Oh, Pastor Carlson, in speaking on delighting in the Lord's Day, spoke of seeing your faces as you delight to sing. But let's be honest, if I'm honest with you, I see some faces where the mouth is not moving. Think of it. Brother, sister, maybe you don't have the greatest voice. I don't claim to have the greatest voice. But you have a voice. Oh, for a thousand tongues. Use the one you have. To sing the praises of our God. Don't be silent. Don't be dumb. Use your voice. And for our deaf brethren. They use their hands to sing the praise of God. They're not dumb. And so, as priests, that's the first thing. Praise and thanksgiving. But you know, right, the next verse tells us another sacrifice that we bring here. Verse 16, And do not neglect, this is Hebrews 13, 16, And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices... God is pleased. Doing good and sharing. Now that's benevolence. And when we, you put your offering in the plate, part of that is used for benevolence. And I sit in on the deacons meetings and we discuss those who need benevolence and help of the church. And some of the money we give goes to help needy brethren. Well, that's what we see in our Bibles too. There was the offering for the saints in Jerusalem. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It was given freely. That's not the only time you can do good. You can do good helping hands. You can do good by helping brethren with various needs practically. There are many ways we do good and share. 
Remember that Jesus went about doing good. Goodness, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. That is a sacrifice that pleases God. How about tithes and offerings? Look at Philippians chapter 4. Because the money is not just used for benevolence. But Philippians 4 tells us something else that our gifts are used for. Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18. Philippians 4, 15. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. What profit? But I have received everything in full. I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. What's the profit that increases to their account? That God smiles upon them. Not that they earn some kind of brownie points or credits with God, but that he's pleased. They're growing in grace. That's profit to their account. But you see, these are sacrifices. So think of that when that offering plate goes by, which is one reason, by the way, that we didn't, we weren't really happy with just putting a box at the back and saying, okay, you know, during COVID we did that because we didn't want germs to be passed with the offering plate. But we're happy to have it part of our worship. Because this is one of those sacrifices, well-pleasing to God. You gave. That was a sacrifice. It was pleasing to God. How about your prayers? Now, this morning, Pastor Smith and I did not consult, but he read a verse that I'm going to read now. First, uh, in Revelation chapter 5, Revelation 5 and verse 8. And this is when the Lamb took the book from the hand of of him who sat on the throne, verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, incense, you see, was one sort of offering. It was an offering of a sweet smell before God, a sweet fragrance. Well, think of it. When we have public prayer, you might think, well, it's only one who's praying. No, no, no. You're well taught enough to know that each one is listening and heart is joined to heart. And together we're offering up this incense. A sweet fragrance before God's throne. You say, what's the use of that? God is pleased. And God hears, and God answers. Join your heart. Make effort. I know sometimes when it's been a long week, and maybe you've worked hard all week, and you sit down in a nice cushy chair, and you close your eyes, what comes next? Well, if you don't snore, it's maybe God's mercy. But perhaps you nod. I've done so. I'm a human being. I'm weak in the flesh. 
but make it an effort. Pinch yourself, whatever you have to do. Tell your wife to nudge you or your husband or your kids or your parents. I am here as a priest and I want to add the incense of my amen, hearty amen, knowing amen to the prayers of the saints that are ascending before God. That's a sacrifice well pleasing to him. Look, one more thing. We spoke of receiving this pure milk of the word, longing for it. Look back at Psalm 51. What else are we offering as we bring our bodies as living sacrifices? We bring part of our body, that's our heart. Psalm 51 and verse 17. Going back to verse 16, for you do not delight in sacrifice, that's physical animal sacrifice, and it's speaking comparatively, of course, God ordered those sacrifices, but comparatively, he says, you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering, the sacrifices of God. In other words, the things that God really delights in are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God you will not despise. Think of it, brethren, as you listen to the word. Don't be those hard-hearted people who say, he's not going to get to me. Open your heart. And if God's word comes with convicting power, don't be stubborn. Don't harden your hearts as in the day of Mas and Meribah in the wilderness. Open your heart. May it be a humble, contrite, broken heart before the word of God. Oh, Lord, come speak to me. I need you. I need your grace. I need to hear what you have to say. Speak, your servant hears. As painful as it may be, I need it. And I remember years ago when I first came to this church, and there would be those longish periods of exposition but then we would come to the application and you know there was a sense in which and i remember one friend of mine saying this to me well i just can't wait to get to the application well that's this heart it says lord here i am speak to me give it to me i need to hear your voice that heart is a sacrifice that pleases god do you have such a heart? It says, Lord, Master, speak. I want to hear what you have to say. Correct me. Encourage me. Strengthen me. Direct me. Just don't leave me flat. Speak to me, Lord. Pray for your pastors. As we come week by week, this is our desire that God would speak through us. And we have no delusions of grandeur that every time we open our mouth, it's automatic. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We have no confidence in the flesh. And may God bless his word. Grant us these kinds of hearts. And so, brethren, here's the point. We're here to serve as priests. We're here to offer up sacrifices. We're here to be active. Nobody here is a bump on a log or a mere cold dead stone in the wall 
If you're a member of this church, if you're a Christian here this morning, you're a living stone. You've got a job to do. You're a priest. You're offering up spiritual sacrifices. But then the last point. Maybe you say, how can I do that? How can I ever offer up a sacrifice pleasing to God? How could God ever be pleased with anything I do? I know my sin, I know my weakness, I know my failings and my frailty. How can I ever offer a sacrifice that God would look at and say, that smells good, that's great. How could I ever do that? Well, here it is, it's in the text. Look back at, second, at 1 Peter chapter 2, second chapter of 1 Peter. He says, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. No other way, no other mediator, no other great high priest could make our feeble efforts acceptable. But he is a sufficient high priest. He's more than sufficient. He is capable of taking this ugly, deficient, twisted, Upside down sacrifice. Straightening it out, cleaning it up, making it look good and smell good by his blood. And you see, when we come in our weakness this morning, maybe you say, oh, my mind is just flying every which way. I was singing. Yeah, my mouth was moving. But and I wanted to sing, but I was having a hard time. But I want to praise God. He is, as they said back in 2 Chronicles 7, his loving kindness is everlasting. What a marvelous God. He is worthy of our praise. Yes, my praise is so deficient. But you see, Jesus, the great high priest, takes your deficient, defiled praise and polishes it up and makes it look good. He is able, more than able, to do just that. And so this encourages us as we come to worship. Maybe you feel like it, it, it's, it's beyond me to do what he's talking about. Yeah, it is. It's beyond us. It's beyond your pastors. It's not beyond Jesus. We have such a priest who has entered the veil as a forerunner. And he brings us in on his, on his tail, as it were, into that harbor. It can clean us, make us acceptable. The mediator, the great high priest, your cold prayers, your songs which are distracted, your deeds of mercy which are perhaps even stained with pride, your offerings which perhaps you somehow little, had a little selfish tie on it, they wanted to bring it back. God takes all those things, the Lord Jesus, and washes them. That's not excusing them. It's not saying, well, it's okay then to be careless. And that, don't get me wrong. We're saying the Lord Jesus can take your best, which is deficient, and make it acceptable. And so we have such a mediator. We come. Our offerings, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. How? Through Jesus Christ. 
our praise and our benevolence with such sacrifices, God is pleased. How? It's so deficient. But God is pleased because it comes through Jesus Christ. You see the importance of knowing Jesus? You know, some people think, well, I go to church every Sunday. Check. I give any offering. Check. I, I do good works. Sharing. Check. I pray every day. Check. But you know, friend, if you don't have Jesus Christ as your mediator, as your great high priest, it stinks. All our good works, what did Isaiah say? Like filthy rags. What can take those filthy rags and clean them up and make them smell good? It's only the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? The sin of my imperfect worship. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So we have such a mediator. We have such a savior. That even back in those dark days with a physical temple of physical stones, they said his loving kindness is everlasting. What a great God. What a great savior we would add. And so as we conclude then this morning, brothers and sisters, I hope this encourages you then to bring your sacrifices. Oh yeah, it's not perfect. Far from it. But bring it. Actively, zealously, fervently. Bring your worship before God. Your giving, your prayers, your singing, your listening to the word. Bring it. Bring it. And even as you bring it, Offer it through Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord Jesus, take my singing, cleanse it, you know, fix it up, put it back in tune. Take my offering, even a widow's mite or even a, a, a millionaire's thousand dollars, which may have more strings attached. Take it, clean, clean it up. Make it acceptable to God. Use me for your glory. You see, we are worshipers who serve in the temple. And we come with that attitude of the psalmist, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Forget none of his benefits. So brethren, come, come. We, as Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, said, we come through the mediator. He said, this is what he said in a prophetic prayer in Luke chapter 1. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Skipping ahead, he said, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve. That word is the word for serving as priests. Serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. We can worship him. We can serve as priests in his living temple without fear because we have a mediator, a redeemer who is Christ the Lord. Let's do that. Lord's day by Lord's day. And lastly, as we think of what this means for us today, friend, again, how can you draw near to God without a mediator? We're glad you're here. 
And we're glad if you sing along with us. But I hope you see that just coming doesn't buy you anything with God. You need a mediator. You need your sins washed away. And thanks be to God, there is such a one, Christ the Lord. And we here in this place, you look around you, you look at us, and we're not lunatics. We're not like we came from Mars. We come because we know this mediator. We have come to him as to a living stone. We have tasted. We have come to know the Lord is kind. And it is our desire, and we do so graciously, we're not forcing anybody, but we desire that you too taste and know that the Lord is kind. He is good. His loving kindness, as they cried out there in that old temple in the Old Testament, His loving kindness is everlasting. This is true life. This is life eternal. To know God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. May you know him. May you come to him by his grace. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for directing us in our worship to include those elements which we see in our Bibles, prayer, praise, reading of scripture, that we would take as that milk of the word which causes us to grow. Singing of praise. Oh, may we sing it better. More from our hearts. More from even a contrite heart. Help us to hear your word and receive it. And never fight against it. And we do pray for those who are with us. We thank you that each one is here. But oh, draw them, we plead. Draw them to the Savior today. Grant those who are dead stones. Not a flattering term, but, O oh Lord, it's true. Grant them that they may become living stones today. We ask these mercies through Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen.